Okay, the kids can be released to their various classes. So the uh, preschool and kindergarten go with Kim at this door. First through sixth grade, uh, sixth grade go this way. And then I think the older kids can go with Jim out to the ark as well. I saw Jim around here somewhere. All righty. Okay, so we are officially entering uh, the uh, month of Christmas Advent. And during the Advent, we address the topics, you can kind of see them up there, hope, peace, joy, love, and on Christmas Eve, Jesus. And we, we do this because we want to keep Jesus the reason for the season. And it's so easy to get sucked into the commercialism. So we do this every year and it's important. But this year we're going to make it a little bit fun because what we're going to do is we're going to line each of these topics up here with a famous Christmas movie, okay? And it gets kind of fun. For instance, Mike next week is going to be preaching on peace. And, and so the movie, that we actually was a toss-up between two movies, and I don't know which one or maybe both, Home Alone, okay, and Die Hard. I don't know how, what he's going to do about that, but there, I guess apparently that's a Christmas movie. And so anyhow, but we're going to have some fun with this. Uh, on this first Sunday, we're talking about hope, and we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, if you want to be turning to that in your Bibles. But today we're going to take our cue from a famous Christmas movie, old-time Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. How many of you have seen A Christmas Story? Remember that? It's about this kid who wants a BB gun, you right? Okay. And it's a story about a young, in the 1940s, a young boy named Ralphie Parker, who tries to attempt to, to convince his parents, his teacher in Santa Claus, that the best possible gift for him was a Red Ryder 200-shot BB gun, okay? And that's all he wanted. That was his main deal. He finally gets the BB gun in the end, but not, be, not before going through all kinds of trials and tribulations and disappointments and defeats and embarrassments, okay? Kind of like real life, right? Except in real life, you don't always get the BB gun. And so, uh, however, we do find other things that are better, but that's kind of what it is. But as I was contemplating this movie, I realized this movie always gets me to ask the question, what do I want for Christmas? What do I really want for Christmas? What do I really hope for? Okay, and not just for Christmas, but for life. Okay, because the Christmas story really challenges us to think about, you know, what do I want? And I've always wondered if Ralphie was really happy after he got the BB gun. Did that really float his boat? Was that the answer to all his life's problems for him? Was that the ultimate thing that made him happy for the rest of his life? And we all know, no! Most of the things we hope for in this life are temporary. We like them for a little bit, then they're gone and we're just off to want something else. And of course, American marketing is constantly telling us what we need next. Okay, and we always need something new, something next to make us happy. And you know, what do we really want? Maybe the question is, what do we really need to satisfy us? And of course, Ralphie did discover that he didn't just get a BB gun. He did discover that his parents weren't so heartless after all. They really did love and care for him. So there's kind of an underlying family theme there. And that's good because there's better things, higher things that we need to put our hope on. And again, this is where the Christmas story challenges us. Because even as adults, we find that our hopes and wishes are oftentimes small and immature. We just want things that aren't that 
satisfying in the long run. Really, that's just how that is. One of my all-time favorite Christmas passages comes out of the Old Testament. It is really one of the most powerful prophecies of Christ's coming that I think you find in the Old Testament. And this is how it reads. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Man, I think this is an amazing hope because this hasn't happened yet. A son is going to be born that's going to bring this about. And that's, that's got to be one of the biggest hopes we find. And, and it still is our hope. But we find it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's, it's the biblical version of the empty secular wish for world peace. How many of you ever wish for world peace? I just everybody wish that everybody get along. You know, world peace is a great thing to hope for. But it can't happen. The only way it's going to happen is if Jesus rules. The only way, because it's not going to happen any other way. And this prophecy promises that a child will be born, his name is Jesus, and he's going to grow up and become the rule of the world, and he will bring world peace to all reality. And I got to tell you, that's quite a hope, because peace cannot and will not come in any other, other way, period. When the world becomes governed by Jesus, all evils, injustice, violence, divisions, persecutions, hate crimes, which is an extremely redundant term because all crimes involve hate. It's kind of when you think about it. And, uh, but all that stuff is going to disappear because Jesus is in charge. And I don't know about you. I hope for that. I look forward to that. And because it's a biblical hope, I have the absolute assurance, certainty that it's going to happen. And that's kind of cool because this passage tells us it's going to happen. The moment Jesus' rule is established over all the cosmos, cosmos, the the world's going to become truly a wondrous place to live. And so this message, however, is not about peace. Mike's going to talk about that next week. This message is about our hope for peace and love and joy and everything else that's going to make this world a better place for me and you, not just me but all of us together. And it's not just a wish dream. And ultimately, we get Jesus himself. We get God himself. And that's what's really going to float my boat. You know, I don't know about you. I, I look forward to seeing Jesus face to face, but my, I, you know, in, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I got to tell you, that's probably my chief hope aside from seeing God face to face. In this prophecy, we're looking at this morning, the the kingdom rule is a certain coming reality. Look at verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, a son is given, the government will rest on his shoulders. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. That's hope. And uh, that's what we pray for. Jesus is the king in this kingdom. And the prophecy tells us he's coming. Uh, Do you think Jesus perhaps could do a little better than Biden or Trump? I mean, we laugh at that, isn't it? It's like, yeah, of course. Do you think there's any world leader right now that can compare to Jesus? Is there any world leader throughout all human history that could come close to comparing to Jesus? No. Our hope is in him coming, not just to be a nice guy. and a t- He's coming to take charge. Amen. And I'm looking forward to that. And I'm ready for him to take charge, but not everybody is. Are you ready? Is that your hope? 
that's because that's what we're looking at today. All right. This passage this morning ascribes four titles or labels to this ruler. And they're essentially his credentials. So why is Jesus so great? What makes him fit to rule? What makes him better than anybody else? Well, this, t- this passage tells us they declare why Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy of all. For So look back at the passage. For to us a child is born, as the son is given, the government rests on his shoulders, and he will be called what? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Any one of these attributes would make him worthy. Any one. But Jesus, this passage says, he is the wonderful counselor and the mighty God and the everlasting father and the prince of peace. All four of these together, man, he makes, it makes Jesus the guy. Now notice, it says he comes to us as a child. And this is mind-blowing. The fact that it's written in the Old Testament hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. This is mind-blowing that this mind-blowing leader comes to us in the form of a baby. A son is given. Get the picture here. Imagine yourself standing in the actual manger. You smell the donkey just a little few feet away. You can see his breath in the chilly air. The camels are huddled down eating, you know, their stuff over here. The, the shepherds are peering through the doors and the windows. And here's Joseph with his arm around Mary, giving her comfort and support. And here's Mary holding this newborn baby. You know, uh, just this perfect, healthy, normal-looking baby. But this baby is not normal. Anything but normal. This baby is unique. This baby is like all these titles in this child. Nothing normal there. Because this child will one day be the ruler, not just over of Israel, not just over the world, but over the entire universe. There will be nothing, absolutely nothing, that doesn't come under his control. And we call this the kingdom of God. That's our hope. We hope for this coming kingdom. That's our hope. Okay, so how do we know he can do it? Well, let's look at Wonderful Counselor. Isaiah 28, Jesus called Wonderful Counselor. Isaiah 28, 29 it says, all this also comes from the Lord Almighty, wonderful in counselor and magnificent in wisdom. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says he preaches Jesus and teaches Jesus that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge of wisdom and knowledge. So this label refers to his omniscience. He's all knowing his incomprehensible wisdom and knowledge. The word wonderful means it's beyond our ability to wrap our minds around. It's mind-blowing. We can't even fathom it. I always like this illustration. There are six feet of DNA coiled in each side of every one of our bodies, okay? It's 100 trillion cells contain four-letter chemical alphabet that spells out the precise assembly instructions for our bodies, Okay, the DNA molecule is an incredible micro-digital error-correcting, redundant, self-duplicating information storage and retrieval system with its own inherent language and has the potential to develop any organism from raw biological material. Okay, who has the wisdom to engineer that? Who put that together? There is nobody who can even come close (laughs) <laughs> and it did not happen by accident. No way. OK, 
Cambridge-educated Stephen Myers demonstrated, he's a, a philosopher of science, by the way, just so you know. He says, there is no hypothesis known that comes close to explaining how that kind of information got into biological matter by naturalistic evolutionary explanation. He goes on to say, purely from the evidence of genetics and biology, we can infer the existence of a mind that's far greater than our own, a conscious, purposeful, rational, intelligent designer who's amazingly creative. That's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. A wonderful counselor. But what's amazing is this wonderful counselor is laying there in a crib in the form of a little baby. Wow. But that's where our hope is. This baby's called the mighty God. Okay. This term mighty informs us that he has omnipotent power. He's all powerful. He's pretty much eight mil. He can do anything he wants, anytime he wants. With nobody questioning him, he is all powerful. In Colossians chapter one, we read this. For by him, and this is a reference to Jesus, by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I don't know anybody else that could do that. Note that phrase, all things hold together. Another illustration I happen to like. I like these illustrations. Astrophysicists have identified something called a neutron star in our universe. Have you heard of a neutron star? A neutron star has the mass, actually one and a half times the mass of our sun. Okay, so think of our sun, but half more, you know, half more. So you're talking about a pretty good big size, except it's compacted into a, a sun that's only the size of a small city, like nine miles in diameter, like from here to Tigard. So imagine, imagine our sun being compacted into a, a shape that's only nine miles in diameter. So just to give you some perspective, just a teaspoon, just a teaspoon of a neutron star would weigh 10 million tons. A teaspoon. If you, if you were somehow to bring it to earth, it would run straight through the earth out the other side. And then once gravity took over inside the earth, it would pull it back through. It'd be like a sewing machine as the earth. I mean, we can't wrap our heads around there. That's mighty. And you see, what can possibly hold a neutron star together that tightly? Jesus. What really blows my mind is that Jesus could hold the entire neutron star in his hand and not break the sweat. I mean, like, and we can't wrap, you see what I'm saying? We can't wrap our heads around this stuff. God is so beyond us. And this is our Jesus. And he's laying there in a manger as a baby. I mean, this is big stuff. Okay, and by the way, don't overlook that he's called mighty God. This child in a manger is called God. This is one of those references in the Bible that tells us clearly and unmistakably that Jesus is not just some teacher, not just some religious spiritual guy, not some, just some guru. He is God in the flesh. That's so important. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and Jesus is God. He's the mighty God. It's right there. You can't miss it. And he's laying there in the manger, and this is the one we put our hope in. The baby Jesus is called the everlasting father. 
Psalm 90, verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born or brought forth from the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And here in our prophecy, Jesus is this. Jesus is this. And we discover this applies to Jesus. God the Father, God the Son are equals. So in John 14, Philip asked Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus goes, don't you know me, Philip, after I've been with you for so long? How can you say, show me the Father? Show us the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Kind of amazing. And so with this label, we shift gears a little bit. The first two have to do with his great knowledge and power and wisdom and all that kind of thing. But now we're looking at his infinite love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. The last two have to do with that relational stuff. And it's just as infinite and mind-blowing as the power stuff. Because we don't have just a God of power. We have a God of love and grace and mercy. And that's so important. That's so important. Uh, his, his love is eternal and changing, unconditional. He had, as an everlasting father, he has compassion on his children, which is you and me. You've accepted Jesus. You're one of his children. That's pretty cool to have a father like that. Come meet my dad. My dad's bigger than your dad. Perfect love. And and Paul says this in Colossians, uh, 1 Corinthians. He quotes an Old Testament prophecy, which says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And that promise is now, and I can't wait till I get home to my heavenly home and see my father face to face. It's great. It's a hope. And because he loves us this way, he pours his grace out on us. In Romans 8.15, we read, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Again, if you haven't heard it, that word Abba is the the most tenderest, intimate reference to what a father is. In our language, it would be like calling God Daddy. Can you imagine that? Everlasting Father. See, getting the grip on this. You know, we have this. And this baby is called the Everlasting Father, And he's laying here in a crib, and our hope is in this child, who's the channel for amazing love that we really have a hard time receiving and accepting, okay? Finally, this baby is called the Prince of Peace. This final label informs us that this child is the source of all forgiveness, restoration, and reconciliation. He's a prince. He's a ruler, okay? The king, he has authority to forgive everything. He has the authority and to restore anything into a right relationship, And then he brings us this peace, not the worldly peace, but his peace. In Isaiah 53, we read, for he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And so now we're looking at this baby in the crib who went on to die on the cross for our sins. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, God was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay? And that's pretty cool because his sacrifice makes it possible for me to come to God no matter how screwed up I am. 
That sacrifice on the cross makes it possible for you to come to God and have a relationship with your father, no matter how messed up you think your life is. And the only thing that keeps us from receiving that is our pride, that we don't think we need it, or our pride in thinking, my sin is too great for God to forgive. Do you realize how prideful that is? My sin is too great. God can't. Who are you to judge? If God says he forgives you, why are you arguing with God? I mean, it's, it's the ultimate arrogance. You can't forgive me, God. My sin is too great. And God's going, I've already forgiven you. You just think you know more than me. We do. Almost every single gift that God has for us, we don't receive because there's something in us that wants to be in control. We don't want to give it up. Man. And again, this <laughs> Prince of Peace is laying here in the manger, but he is our hope. So, what do you want for Christmas? What do you hope for? What are you really hoping for? Not just for Christmas, but for in this life. My good friend Clark Tanner was sharing with me this week how he was talking to another pastor. And this pastor shared with him, yeah, my wife is, she's just really binging out on Hallmark movies. How many of you watch all Hallmark movies? Come on, be honest. All right, thank you. I'm a Hallmark guy. I have no, I'm not even embarrassed anymore. I'm unashamedly, actually, there's, there's a number of channels out there that, you know, there's the Great American Family Channel and there's Up TV. There's some good ones out there. And so I watch them. Hallmark's kind of getting shaky, but, but still, you know, and I agree. They're just annoyingly predictable and cheesy. I, you, you can't get around it sometimes. I mean, you know when the interrupted kiss is going to happen. You know when, you know, the, it's just stuff. You just know. But, you know, so this pastor's like, it's really weird. My wife's binging out on Hallmark movies. I can't understand why, because she's never been a fan. Because they're predictable, and they're cheesy, and they're just, you know, you know the complaints. And so this pastor asked his wife, what's up with you and the Hallmark movies? And this is what she said. She said, you know, this year, I just need something with a happy ending. Maybe you need a happy ending. Where are you going to find a happy ending? There's only one place I know of, and that's in Jesus. He is my hope, and we want to celebrate that this season. Amen? Let's all be standing for a closing word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are so blessed. We walk through this life not even realizing it. And you just made it possible for us to get through this day because we have hope of something better. No matter how bad this day gets, we have hope of something better. That's not just a wish dream. It is going to happen. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that no matter what we experience, we're going to experience that. But what's really cool, Father, is you've allowed us to experience tastes of that and bits and pieces of that here in the now. And it's such a blessing that you give us these little tastes of your glory. And so thank you for that. We honor you. We thank you during this season. Help us to remember it as we go in and ultimately celebrate you this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh. Okay, guys, after you do your cookies, we leave the chairs out, but we do need to put the tables away. So leave chairs.